outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 197. And today, on the show, Dan and I are doing a deep dive into our own 2017 deer hunting seasons to discuss the mistakes we made, the lessons we learned, and the areas we're hoping to improve on in 2018. Hey guys, before we get into the episode, I want to point out two quick things. First, for some reason, my microphone on this recording was acting up and it resulted in lower quality audio on my end. So apologies for that in advance. Uh, And secondly, I just want to mention here that in this intro, as you just heard, we're going to be discussing me and Dan's 2017 seasons and reviewing what we did right and what we did wrong. So you might be asking yourself, though, how is this How is this valuable to me, the listener? Well, I think at the surface level, you can learn something here from the specific examples we bring up, such as the unique hunting decisions or situations or challenges that we encountered throughout the season uh, that we're going to talk about here over the next hour or so. So you can learn something from those actual hunting elements. But just as important, I think, You can learn something about the process we went through here, the actual act of reflecting on the past hunting season, our goals, our expectations, our steps towards those goals, our failings towards those goals. And I think and I hope that by listening to us discuss these things and then thinking about how you could try this yourself, you can actually learn a little bit about how to better review your own season. And maybe you'll pick up some good ideas. Maybe you'll notice some things that you don't want to do. Um, Either way, I'd encourage you to listen to this conversation through that lens of your own season and then try doing some reflection like this on your own in the coming days. I hope that you're going to find that to be a valuable exercise. And so with all that said, enough of me. Let's get right into it. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today it is just myself and Mr. Dan Johnson there over in Iowa. And today what I wanted us to do, Dan, if you're up for this, is 
I want to look back at 2017. You know, we are now in the first week or two of January 2018, and the hunting season is behind us. So I want to take a look at all the mistakes we made. I want to take a look at all the things that maybe we did well, um, the lessons we learned. Um, I don't know if you do this like I do, but as I get towards the end of the season, I spend a lot of time looking back and thinking through and kind of reflecting on, you know, were there any themes that, that I kind of noticed from the season? Was there any big things I should have done differently? Or um, I don't know. I just spend a lot of time thinking back on those things. Right. So I kind of want to do that on air, I suppose. Because I, especially for me this year, I felt like this was um, just, I mean, I mean, I've said it before, but this was a very challenging season. This was a frustrating season. Um, so I want to make sure that I'm learning from this. Um, you know, there's, I think in any time you fail or come up against something tough, there's an opportunity to grow from that. So I sure as hell better grow from this season because I didn't get anything else from it. So right. Absolutely. that's, uh, that's what I want to try to do today is, is kind of verbalize some of that and talk through some of those things that, that we learned. Um, and, and hopefully that then provides, you know, like an illustration for everyone listening. Um, so then maybe they can learn from some of the good things we did, some of the bad things we did, um, and apply that to their own, you know, future seasons and all that. So, but I guess before we get into the, the, the meat of it, do you have anything new on the lighter <laughs> side of things? Do you have any dad stories? I, I gotta tell you, you, you better take advantage of these now, Dan. Because in a few weeks, you will not be the only one that can tell dad stories. Dude, I'm actually looking forward to your dad stories. Just like <laughs> just to compare how your dad stories and my dad stories are. Because I will tell you this. I will tell you this. And I always, you know, I, I joke and I bitch about my kids quite a bit, but I want to tell you this is gonna be a little sentimental and I don't I don't want to change the tone of the website, but you know, I'm going to, I'm going to anyway, but you have, you have these, you have these blinders on almost when, you know, like how important, what, what is important in life before a kid's born. Right. And I've always thought of what this other deer hunter told me. He's a hardcore deer hunter. And he told, he told me this, and it was when I was uh, when, when my wife was pregnant with my daughter, my my firstborn. So at this time, I didn't have any kids. And he says to me, two things are going to happen. Like you're going to perspective in life is going to change. Like what what's important is going to change, and you will not realize how much your parents loved you until the day that you have your kid. Yeah. And the day that my daughter was born. And it, it happened really fast. They pulled her out of my wife. They set her on my wife's chest. And she looked at me with these wide open eyes and she smiled. I swear to God, she smiled. And, you know, babies can't smile. At that. <laughs> That's what it looked like, right? And I had this overwhelming feeling come over me that at that moment in my life, all of my priorities changed. All of, you know like what I thought was important in life changed who, how much I thought people loved me and how much I love people changed. And it just was like this, this, this tectonic shift in life. And, uh, you know, as much as I like today, I, my kid, my son 
is in the which other one? room. Which one? Mac. Mac. He got he got Mac kicked Johnson, out. Johnson, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, he got kicked out of daycare today for hitting <laughs> and pushing. <laughs> so hmm. I had to I had to leave work, and that's why we're recording this podcast right now mm-hmm. with him in the other room. Hopefully he doesn't interrupt, but you know, like as much as as much as I talk shit on my kids, I love them to death, and it's it's just hashtag dad life. <laughs> Man, you you mentioned that moment when your daughter uh, arrived in the world, mm-hmm. and how like that was a beautiful moment from you. Um, yeah. I just had my quote unquote diaper party kind of deal this past right. weekend. So but you know, a bunch of your buddies get together and you do something and then they bring a bunch of diapers. Um kind of get you set up a little bit. So we spent the day ice fishing and rabbit hunting and shooting longbows and guns and stuff like that. Um we spent the whole day doing that and then in the evenings the wives met up with us at one of my buddies' houses and we all, you know, we all got together. So that was a good time, really good time. Um, but that night, you know, there, I was with all these couples and they all had kids except for me. Um, and Furter. Furter was there and he doesn't have any kids yet. Um, but all they basically did was tell like horror stories about babies. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things they kept saying is that when it comes out right away. They were saying it is not the most beautiful thing. They were saying it's pretty disgusting. It doesn't look like the cute little Gerber baby you see in commercials. And that it's covered in like white stuff and cone-headed. And I mean, I don't know if my little dude is going to be smiling at me. I got a feeling he's going to come out looking like, uh, I don't know, something out of the movie Alien. Yeah. (laughs) Tell you what, my daughter, she came out. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm that, I was that dad who I got, you know, my wife had one leg on my arm and, you know, I was leaning in, into her when she started to push and my daughter was born. It was a very beautiful thing, you know, without going into too much detail, right? We all know where babies come from, but, you know, it was beautiful. <laughs> like I watched it and I was just like, oh my God, it's a birth. Now I was in the same exact position when my 98th percentile head measurement son came out and that was a completely different experience where uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie um where where uh Jim Carrey is inside of a rhinoceros and the <laughs> fan breaks and he has to come out the back end of this fake rhinoceros <laughs> no that is what it was I mean it was like just like the predator met like oh just like something coming out of the ground like uh, I was just like uh it was gross and, but you know that's life right it's not all beautiful no my my wife is convinced that I'm going to pass out during that portion of the event if I see that dude so, your adrenaline's pumping oh man i think i'm going to stay topside i think that's if my you game can, plan <laughs> if you can gut a deer without passing out then you can witness a birth all right well i can do that so. I, I can't believe I just compared the two things. But. <laughs> Don't let your wife hear that. No, no. She doesn't <laughs> listen to this podcast anyway. No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, man, it's coming up just a few more weeks. I'm just pumped for you, A few more man. weeks and it's happening. And that's it's kind of uh, an interesting lens that I've been looking through this whole review of the past year through because I'm looking back at this and this is my last – year and my last hunting season and my last adventure season pre-baby um so i'm kind of looking at everything within this weird place like i know things are going to change i don't know exactly how they're going to change i I know there's going to be all these crazy things happening i don't really know how i'll handle those or how they're going to impact all the other things i've got going on in my life i don't i know they're going to change how much i care about those other things but i don't know what that 
actually looks like and feels like in real life. So I'm in this weird in-between point right now that I'm just like, I just, I'm just ready. I guess I'm just ready to, to get going with this because the in-between stage, the, the unknown is killing me and I'm just ready to, to dive in and figure things out and, and start moving forward. Um, on, on a whole lot of things, but, uh, baby, baby is definitely a big part of that. So man, yeah. it's going to be an interesting year. That's, that is for certain going to be a very different year. So absolutely, man. And it's going to be, <laughs> it might be interesting for people to have kids, but we're going to lose like the other 45% of our audience that doesn't have kids. <laughs> They'd be so sick of us talking about babies. <laughs> Dude, it's just, that's part of life, right? I mean, it is. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this con, this, this podcast has a, a great ton of con- uh, a great amount of really really good content and if you know you think that we talk about our kids too much just wait till mark has his kid man we're going to talk about him a whole lot more <laughs> and as and as i start to get my kids deeper involved into hunting and you know taking them out and actually getting them to experience cuz my daughter's going to be that age this upcoming season you know, we're going to be talking about kids more. You, you, I can't talk about what I don't know. You know, I talk, I know my family and that's, you know, that's what I talk about. Yeah, man. And I think, you know, I think people, hopefully, um, that will be something that people can follow along with. And I think everyone will be going through different stages of like everyone. We all go through different phases in our lives. Right. And there are listeners probably that are ahead of us and there are listeners that are behind us and there are listeners that are maybe right on the same part of the timeline as we are that can kind of follow along from their own perspective. Um, and so either you'll get to learn something about what to expect. You'll be able to relate to someone who's dealing something with that you're dealing with right now, or you, maybe you can look back on something you used to have to deal with and either laugh at us or, or, uh, enjoy it. Um, I don't know what, but, uh, man, it'll be interesting. So baby, uh, baby watched countdown will be starting here very soon. It could be, any time now, really, um, but probably, you know, two or three more weeks. But What uh, is she, 30, 37 weeks? She's 36. 36, okay. Yep. Um, but she just seems like, I don't know, we, we just have this idea, and I think I've said this before. We just have this feeling that it's going to come early, um, and she is just big and uncomfortable and just ready to be done with it. So Has she, <laughs> has she said, look at you with all sorts of seriousness looked at you straight in the eyes and told you to go f yourself yet <laughs> in so she, many words yeah right she says like you did this to me <laughs> right right well when let me know when she looks you dead in the eyes and she uses those exact words uh <laughs> then you know she's had enough now it's happening yeah uh yeah so hashtag dad life right right um Anything else interesting in your world otherwise outside dude, of that? Dude, I want to talk about deer hunting. Talk about deer? All right. Before we do that, though, let's take a quick second to hear our Sitka story of the day. For this week's Sitka story, we're joined by Don Vidash, who tells us about an eye-opening encounter he had in southeastern Kansas. Well, Spencer, it's an interesting uh <laughs> The sickest stories have, have been intriguing to me. I'm an avid follower of the podcast, and, and I've had a couple uh, defining uh, moments in uh, in my own career, and one really was an eye-opener for me. 
back in 2015, I had a particularly large buck that I was after in Kansas, probably the biggest one I had, I had ever chased and had a lot of camera pictures of him and, uh, was really waiting him out and got down to Kansas just on a great cold front in November and, uh, got into where I thought he would be. And, uh, sure enough, around 1130 AM, he comes walking in, uh, into the field. I was, I was sitting in, uh, with a few does and, uh, I snort wheezed at him, uh, just trying to get aggressive. And, and he took one look over at me and just came charging in like a bull, uh, stopped staring at me head on at 10 yards, uh, eyeball to eyeball. And it is one of those moments where, you know, your camouflage really gets tested and, and right about then he, he looked away and took one step and, and that, that was one of his last. And for me, that was really one of those, uh, moments where you wonder, you know, how things are working and, and, and I had the wind in my face and I just knew at that time that, uh, the camouflage was working for me. Uh, you know, as hunters, I think we always have questions, you know, is my wind good? Is, is my, is my setup good? Is, is my equipment solid? And, and in that moment, I knew, uh, that all that was clicking. On Don's hunt, which was a bitterly cold sit, he was wearing Sitka's phonetic system. If you'd like to create a Sitka story of your own, or to learn more about Sitka's technical hunting apparel, visit sitkagear.com. Dude, I want to talk about deer hunting. Talk about deer? All right. Yeah. I'm game. I, th- I think there's a lot to talk about because we've kind of, throughout the year, we've kind of talked about things as they've been happening, but we never have done a real serious kind of analysis of the whole thing. So I think there's a lot to talk about here. Um, and I don't really know what the right way to go about it is. I mean, we could go through, we could go through and talk through our seasons individually from beginning to end in a couple high level things, or we could talk through and kind of break them down by portion. Um, I don't know. I mean, how much, how much do you have, Dan? Is there a lot that you came out of this season having learned or having felt good about or having wanted to change? Or do you feel like this is one of those years that kind of flew by and you don't know what you took from it yet? I mean, where are you on that front? I, I think that you're missing something if you can't take away some things that you would do differently uh, on a hunting season, right? Uh, I mean, that's the way I look at it. There's always something that I feel I could do different um, in order to, uh, you know, have a different outcome. You know, I don't want to change the outcome, but next year I don't want the same outcome. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's always there's always some kind of change that you can make to have that quote unquote perfect season that doesn't exist, if yeah. that makes sense. Okay, so before the season. If we were talking in September, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the best, how would you rate your expectations for the season coming into it? Well, based off trail cameras and information, man, I tell you what, the farm, like I said, the farm that I do most of my hunting on was absolutely loaded. And I was just, I was very happy with the amount of mature deer that were on the property. So I, I had really good expectations going into, into that season, this, uh, this season. So one through 10, uh, I'm going to say eight to nine, to be honest with you. All right. And then now that the season's pretty much done. How would you look back at the season and say, 
the season went as far as meeting those expectations or goals you had? Well, I tell you what, um, I walked away from, and, and we've talked about this before. We, I walked away from this season with a, a, a harvest and, you know, just to recap that, you know, how that hunt played out where that harvest, you know, it was really thick. It was really nasty. Um, I, I thought the buck that was coming through was mature. I had a very short window to harvest him. I shot him. And then as I got down and walked up to this buck, it wasn't the buck that I thought he was when I, you know, when I was in the tree and, you know, I, I'm not disappointed in it. And I, I think it would be unfair to the animal if I said, oh, man, I wish I never would have shot that buck because, you know, if I could do it over again, yeah, I probably would have passed him. But I, you don't have – sometimes you don't have the opportunity to do those things. So I did what I thought was right at the time, and uh, I was very happy with the end result. I mean it was a – it's a great buck. It was immature. It was not mature. Uh, and that's something that I need to do a better job at. This upcoming year, that's one of the takeaways is to make sure I identify some characteristics of these deer differently. And I think I I got into this little moment there where I was like blackout kill mode instead of saying, "Mm, I'm okay with eating my tag, you know, like because there's that there's that there's that fine line, right? So do you think it was, and it sounds like, um, I think this is what you just said, but are you saying that you think you need to get better at learning to identify the characteristics of a mature deer so you are more accurate in your aging, or is it more so getting your head right in the moment so that you actually pay attention to the things you know versus yeah. blackout kill mode? I think it was, it, it's this, the latter of the two. Yeah. Um, because although I say I had a very short period of time, you know, what what keeps you or what makes you better is to be able to make those decisions in shorter time periods. And I, instead of taking that extra half second, two seconds to observe, I went into that kill mode. Right. So I think that next year, if the same type of scenario, um, presents itself, I, instead of, you know, turning that, that switch on saying kill, not kill, I'll probably leave it at not kill as opposed to kill. And, and, you know, unless it's overwhelming, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I got a friend, um, who has dealt with a challenge similar to that, but he has it the opposite side where he goes into it and he's become so picky and so like, um, focused on that. Well, I don't know if it's he he has the same issue where he will him and haw and him and haw and him and haw over a buck for such a long period of time that then he doesn't get himself in the right mind mindset to make a good kill. So he's had a couple examples where he's been hemming and hawing and thinking and going back and forth on a buck too many times and then, you know, ends up not getting a great shot or rushing the shot or something along along those lines. So his one of the more recent things I remember him saying to me about this was that kind of like you just said, he now believes that either it's an instant yes, or it's if it's not an instant yes, then it's a no. I'm not going to shoot right. something that I don't instantly know. Obviously, this is a mature buck I want to shoot. If it's one of those eh, maybes, I shouldn't even sit in him and haunt about it. It, it, it. Just, it's a no then. 
right? Right. And I'll tell you what, I think a little, and, and this is going to tie into, I think, your season uh, and com- putting all your eggs in one basket for a particular buck. I did that for several years, uh, chasing one particular buck. And I ate my tag several years um, out of the last 10, you know, going for a one particular buck and two, a higher age class, a very high standard age class. And I think that has faded away over the last, let me, let me just say uh, five years, maybe, and maybe five or six years. And I think I'm kind of going back to that, get into a kill mode instead of identifying maturity and shooting mature, you know, like a mature animal in those going back to that, that light switch moment, kill pass. You know what I mean? So I, I I need to do a better job of identifying that. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things that's easier said than done. I mean, it's very easy to say from the computer desk here or sitting there in the off season talking with your buddies. Oh yeah, I know what a mature buck looks like. I can make that decision easily in the woods. But when something like this shows up out of nowhere and you've got a few seconds to make a decision and you've been sitting in that tree for 10 straight hours for day after day after day or whatever it might be and you're cold and you're tired and you've been just dying to see a good mature buck and all of a sudden something comes through that gets your heart pumping. I mean, it is very understandable that you might get a little fired up and, and get trigger happy. And, and, and I don't know, is there, is there something wrong with that? If you got excited in a moment um, by that deer you saw and you were thrilled by that opportunity and you took that shot, was that necessarily the worst thing in the world? I don't know. I understand. I, I mean, I understand what you're saying and it didn't, it wasn't your goal. And that's something you want to get better at. But I don't know if it's um, – that goes back to a whole deeper slew of questions than I guess about about our well, goals and stuff going into the season. But Yeah, I mean, you know, some people say – some people say, you know, they say – one second, Mark. <laughs> in the chair. No, you got to go in the living room, Bubba. Are you going to be quiet? So I'm sorry, (laughs) Uh, hashtag dad life, right? (laughs) So, um, you know, some people say, you know, don't, don't shoot a buck, you know, don't pass a buck that you would shoot on the last day of the season. I don't know if I like that idea. You know, if I have the time, I think my standards do change as a season progresses. So if I was to say, you know, uh, you know, a, a certain caliber of deer, comes through the timber and I pass it, but later on that, that caliber of deer becomes acceptable later on in the season. I, you know what? I think I'm okay with that. Yeah. I kind of tend to agree for me too. I've had that same thing happen myself. I understand what people are saying, but at the same time, um, that, I don't know, your desire or my desires or hopes out of a season do change as the year goes by and what would make me happy in a season sometimes changes too. You know, at the beginning of the right. season, I go into a year, I'm like, oh, I'm going to hold out for a really, really old buck or one buck or a giant buck or whatever it might be because, you know, you're naive and optimistic at that point and everything seems possible. Um, but then as you get two, three months into it, then just the idea of, you know, having some kind of success or just putting meat in the freezer or just killing a, a decent buck, that might make you really happy. And what's wrong with that, you know? Right. Right. 
right? So now I kind of want to ask that same question to you because your, your whitetail season got interesting when Holyfield showed up on camera again. Remind us all what that date was. So he showed back up on camera mid-September 2017. So before the season started. Now, when you got that picture, how long did it take for you to say it's Holyfield or bust? That night, or basically when I decided that it was Holyfield for sure. um, You know, I started comparing pictures. And as we talked all year and as we talked all of last year, right, Holyfield was – this deer that I've been trying to kill for now two, two and a half years or whatever it was. And yeah, if he, if he made it back, he was going to be the one and he was going to be what my whole season would revolve around. And I went into the season, you know, knowing that and being okay with that. Um, but maybe naively, I thought it was going to happen. <laughs> I was very, I was too confident that if he was there, I was going to kill him. Um, despite challenges I'd had doing that in the past to a degree. Um, so well, I tell you, man, I I kind of agree with you there, though. I mean, if you if you look at annual patterns, uh, I had a I had a really good conversation with a guy yesterday, actually, about annual patterns. And if you were making your decision based off of annual patterns, I would have went into the season gunning for Holyfield with a very high level of certainty. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, as as much as you can be confident in killing a mature buck in Michigan on essentially 40 acres of huntable ground. I mean, I had about as good of circumstances coming to the season as you could ask for, given the experiences I'd had seeing this deer in the past. And um, in a lot of ways, it went about as good as I could ask for. I mean, it didn't go as, as good as I could have asked for because I didn't kill him. Um, but a lot of things did go pretty darn close to going well. Um, and you just don't, I've talked to a lot of buddies in here in Michigan, a lot of the guys hunting in situations similar to this. And my situation with Holyfield is just really unique to this area. You just don't get many bucks that make it to this age. And you don't get bucks that you get to see as often as I got to see this deer and have as many encounters and chances at him. Um, there just aren't many mature bucks to go around, especially not on a small property like this with, you know, just limited cover, right. et cetera, et cetera. So, so I think to one one way of looking at things, I should look at this season as I was really darn lucky that I made a decision last winter, last late season. I said, you know what? I could kill him in muzzleloader season, but I think he can make it if I don't kill him. And it'd be really awesome to hunt him next year. That was the decision I made in 2016. And I knew that there was a really good chance he might not make it till then. He could die over the course of the winter or get hit by a car or something. But I got really lucky and fortunate and he didn't. He made it to the hunting season. And so I got what I wanted, right? I got right. the chance to hunt him again. I got the chance for that excitement again, um, that thrill of chasing this deer. Um, I, I got that. So that is a win, I suppose. I mean, that's a really that was a positive thing to take from this season, that I made a decision to pass a deer because it wasn't about just putting antlers on the wall. It was about extending this experience and having this experience in the way I wanted to have it. Um, and I, and I was able to achieve that for the most part. So that was pretty cool. Um, so I'm going to just jump right into it because I want to know, but from a strategy standpoint, this season, I mean, this deer was all over the place. He, he made himself visible to you in this, this, um, 
certain amount of acreage that you have access to. You know, you played cat and mouse with him the entire season. You had uh, several encounters with him. You had one mishap type of an encounter. With all that aside, do you think that you did everything that you possibly could have done to put yourself into a, a, the best possible position to, to, I guess, harvest this animal? No. Um, I think I did a lot of things right. I did, I almost did enough to kill him. Um, but there were certainly still mistakes. So I've gone through and thought through like all the different little things that maybe I've done wrong, um, little mistakes I made, things I could have done differently. So there definitely are things I picked out. I wish I'd done this differently. I wish I'd done that differently. Um, first and foremost, the very most obvious, and, and you can look at this as a good thing and you can look at this as a bad thing. On the good side, I, for the first time, um, for the first time since 2015, I was able to be in shooting range, clear, easy peasy shot at Holyfield with a bow on November 7th. I had him at 20, 25 yards in the wide open. I could have killed Holyfield. So I, I put myself in the right place at the right time without getting winded. I got in there the right access. I, I picked the right place to be. So those things were all good things that I can look at and say, hey, that was good. I essentially did what I needed to do to kill that buck, except for the final most important thing, which was to be looking up and see him come in, not be looking at your cell phone. So that was a big of course, the most obvious glaring mistake of my entire season was I blew my opportunity at achieving my number one goal because I was looking at my phone as he walked in, didn't know he was there, and he saw me when I did turn around to see him. So that was the big one. Um, so let's let's expand that a little bit. Did that affect you so much that it's going to change your behavior in the tree stand moving forward? A little bit, yes, yes, it did. But I'm not gonna, I'll, I'm, I'll, I'm not gonna lie to you and say I'm never gonna look at my phone again. Um, that's just impossible, probably. At least for me personally, I, I don't have that kind of focus. I've, but I've definitely since then I've gotten better at it. I've spent much less time on the phone, and when I do look at the phone, I'm, I'm much more paranoid now. So I look at the phone for like two seconds, look up, two seconds, look up. Um, so I've definitely gotten better at and more aware of that, um, and definitely I think. It's, this will be a great kind of learning moment for me for the future when it comes to all day sits. Um, because one of the good things I did this year is I hunted a lot of all day sits. I think I put in like 14 or 15 days where I hunted the entire day. Um, and I'm proud of myself for that. I was happy. Like that was a thing I can look back in the season and say, hey, you did a good job on that, Mark. That was something you said you would do and you stuck with it and you toughed it out, even though a lot of those days were miserable, long, didn't see anything, et cetera, et cetera. But this was one of the situations where, you know, it, it, it almost paid off. I was there at 11 o'clock in the afternoon, and so was he. Um, so I just need to now get better at staying focused during that time period. Um, it's really easy to not think you need to be focused because 99% of the time you're not seeing anything. But I did see a lot of midday activity this year. So more so than, than any other year, probably I was just reminded of the fact that this isn't just something that they tell you in the magazines or that Mark preaches on the podcast all the time. There actually is some truth to it. Um, so this was another good reminder of me for me of that. I 
on the flip side, um, I think that there were a handful of other small things. Well, let's take a step back here, Dan, because I am looking at this through a lens um, that that you are not looking through it yet and that the listeners aren't looking through it yet. And that is this thing. I believe that Holyfield is dead. You believe that Holyfield is dead. I think the hunt for Holyfield is done. Okay, wait a second. Yeah, we haven't. I've not. I've not said this publicly yet, but I think it's done. Okay, so the last time I thought I talked with you is that the gun season was over, and you had trail camera pictures of him. It wasn't a trail camera picture of him. It was a sighting. It was a sighting. My wife. Okay. My wife had seen him in a field from the road. She does a okay. wonderful job of being an extra set of scouting eyes for me in the evenings when I'm not around. She'll she'll check this area out every once in a while because um, it's close to home. And um, she told me she saw him the evening of December 1st. I was in Ohio that night. Okay. And that was the day after gun season. So at that point, I was really excited. He made it through gun season. I thought that there were very good chances then that the worst of the um, – the worst of the threats to him being killed by someone else were done. Um, so when I got back from Ohio, I waited a couple days for this cold front that was supposed to hit. And once that cold front hit, I started hunting. Um, but from that point on, I did not get another sighting of him. I did not get a trail camera picture of him. Um, I think I mentioned this on a past episode, but I didn't get a trail. I've not had a picture of him since October. So even though, even though I was seeing him in November, I, the last time I personally saw him was November 14th. And then, you know, like I said, no pictures all through that time period. Then my wife got a sighting of him on December 1st. So now I believe he made it through the gun season. But again, no pictures, um, no sightings or pictures through December. And then around Christmas, give or take, sometime around that, I don't remember exactly when it was, um, I heard a rumor of a neighbor having killed a big buck. And so I've been trying to confirm this. I've been texting some other people in the area. Um, and this guy, um, basically the, from a friend of a friend said that a neighbor, a guy from a neighboring property killed a big buck over here. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anything more really. I don't know where this was. I don't know what this person would call, would call a big buck. Um, but it would kind of make sense that this guy killed him with a muzzle loader if we saw him December 1st. Uh, and let me take a step back. Um, my wife also heard a really loud muzzle loader shot on December 2nd, um, the day after she saw this buck, after she saw Holyfield out in the wide open field. The next day, she she heard a really loud gunshot, um, and that, that doesn't happen that often. So it was somewhere yeah. nearby. Um, right after she had seen Holyfield moving in daylight. Right. right. So between those two things and then finding out that the neighbor supposedly killed a big buck and this neighbor hunts a property. The interesting thing about this situation, if anyone was going to kill Holyfield, I would not have thought it would have been this gentleman um, because this guy just owns field edge. Um, he owns no cover. He just has a big field. I don't even know if any of the trees are on his property at all. So, and he, I've only ever seen this guy go out hunt like 
two or three times in the last like six or seven years I've been hunting this property. Like he's never out there. I don't think he's a very serious hunter at all. Um, now I, I don't I don't know him personally. I don't know the details. So this is just assumptions I'm making. Um, but based on observation from a distance, and you know when I've been out there a couple times, have seen this person or someone out there. Um, this was not where I thought Holyfield's threat was, um, especially since this year. Other than like back in the back of the property, Holyfield was not moving out in the open fields too much, um, especially not by the roads. But long story short, this person supposedly killed a big deer that coincided closely with when we stopped getting sightings of him and when a gunshot was heard in the area. Um, and I don't know. I have no pictures of him, no sightings of him, and just like that gut feeling that tells me he's probably gone. Now, right. I could be completely wrong because, like I said, I mean, I saw him a bunch in November but didn't get a single trail camera picture of him despite that. So he certainly has the ability to avoid my cameras. And on the other hand, in October, I didn't see him at all, but I did get trail camera pictures of him. He definitely changed his behavior a lot this season. Um, yeah. In the past two years, he was much more visible. He was much more on camera. He was much more active. This year, he he became like old bucks do, and he became much more of a hermit. He didn't move at all except for, or at least I didn't see him moving during daylight at all, except for a 14-day window from Halloween to November 14th. That was the only daylight settings I got. I think I had 10 settings or 11 settings or something like that in that window, and that was it the whole season. I didn't see him way off in the distance like I've seen him in the past. Um, so he could be alive and he could be holed up in some little cranny or some swamp or somewhere else where you know he can just get get by and not have any pressure from humans. And this neighbor maybe just shot some other buck that I didn't know about. But just the fact that I had only seen Holyfield. Holyfield was the only big buck I was getting on trail camera. He was the only big buck I was seeing. Um, I mean, there, there was no other buck that I would qualify as big that I even got pictures of the whole season. So I just am thinking, you know, if this guy is saying he killed a big buck, I don't know what other big buck it could be because there haven't been any others. But at the same time, to, you know, 10 days ago or whatever, I saw a random giant on this property that I'd never seen before, and he just showed up. So that's not to say that there couldn't be some random other deer in the area that just never came onto the property I can hunt, but this guy, this guy killed. Um I talked to another neighbor today about this very issue, you know, talking about what I think maybe what happened. And this guy said that he saw like three or four different pretty respectable big bucks over on his side um, that I never saw at all. And um, and that's not that far away. So right. so I'm making assumptions. I'm Maybe I'm being too negative on this. I have not gotten confirmation. I've stopped by this person's house um, trying to trying to ask him if, you know, He'll share with me a picture, you know, chat with me about what happened just because I'm curious to get confirmation on this. And he hasn't been home. So I'm hoping to get some kind of confirmation soon. just hasn't happened yet. Um, but so I'm, I'm looking through all of these things related to Holyfield and the decisions I made, the, the good things and the bad things. I'm looking at them through the lens of it being done. Right. Um, which, right. which I thought was worth pointing out. So I, I'm going to reflect back on the buck I was chasing shipwreck, right? You know that story. Yep. But at the end of every season, I would make the assumption that I was never going to see him again until I got confirmation that he, he didn't 
you know, he didn't show up on trail cameras or I didn't see him from the tree stand. I mean, but I didn't allow that buck necessarily to dictate what I was going to do if I, you know, if I didn't have converse, uh, uh, confirmation that he was alive or not. So you don't know the, you don't know whether or not he's dead. You have a gut feeling thinking he's dead. How are you going to approach this upcoming season? Are you assuming, I mean, I guess, are you, I know you're assuming he's dead, but are you going to let it dictate what you're doing from here on out for, let's say maybe upcoming season with no verification? So, so first and foremost, I am going to try to get confirmation, at least from this guy to try to figure out what buck he did shoot. So at least I can have that question answered. I'm going to try to talk to this person, figure that out at least. Um, But Otherwise, I, I think that, yes, I'm going to go into the season assuming he's dead. Unless I see him or get a picture of him, even if this guy says, oh, no, I didn't shoot a big buck or here's the picture and it's some other deer. Um, even if that's the case, I'm still going to go into the season assuming he's dead, hoping for the best, but assuming he's probably gone. Um, but I will be taking the things I learned from this past season, applying them to next year, and um, you know, still going to be using that all that those things that I've picked up from Holyfield to, to the next deer, to the next opportunity um so there's no shortage of things i definitely learned a lot from this deer this deer and this hunt over the past two even three years if you count the first year when i was passing him um man a wealth of information it it pushed me to try to understand things to a level of detail that i never have before um and i can look at so many little things that i did this year both good and bad that i think just just thinking through these things is is making me a better hunter. So, so let me right. let me tell let me do this. I went through and tried to look at all the hunts that I made throughout the season on this property, and I I'm able to pick out all these little tiny things now that I think I could have done better. But in the past, there would have been like dozens of things I did wrong probably. But every year, I've been taking a little bit, paying a little more attention to detail, fixing up you know two out of four issues this year, and then one more out of the four issues the next year. And now I'm getting to the point where now it's like these little things. Um, but I can look back and say, well, I sure I'm glad that that thing I learned last year, I did act on it. And man, look at the result. I almost killed Holyfield in that spot because I thought from what I saw last year, I should have a stand here or different things on those lines. Um, so one thing that I learned from last year, one of the big things that last year I said, or even this, you know, this past spring and winter when we were talking about what are the things that I'm going to do differently in 2017. One of the big mistakes I thought I made in 2016 was that I got the confirmation the Holyfield was alive in 2016 and I was going to wait to try to hunt him sparingly in October except for cold fronts um, because I thought I had a good set set up. But then I hunted that first day and then I was like, oh, the next day looked pretty decent so I hunted again. And then like Six days later, we had another cold front come in. And I was like, well, I'm going to hunt this cold front now and try to take advantage of it. So I hunted that day and the next day. Didn't see him. And I was like, all right, I'm going to stay out. And then seven days later, we had another little front come through. And I got a picture of him on the other side of the property. I was like, well, maybe I need to hunt now. So I tried. So I kept him having all these little reasons that maybe now's the time to strike. Now's the time to strike. Now's the time to strike. And it resulted in me over hunting a portion of this property um, a lot. I hunted it a bunch more than I thought I should have probably. And maybe that impacted my ability to kill him in 2016 before gun season. Um, I did see him a bunch, 
but I couldn't get him within range except for one night. I had him at 40 yards, but it was just a little too dark. You guys know that story. Um, so in 2017, my plan was to hunt the first night, and then unless there's just some very, very, very obvious glaring need to get in there and hunt him, like I saw him in daylight at this spot, I'm not going to go in there at all until the annual pattern I identified dictates that he should start moving in daylight again. So just to recap very briefly, in 2015, the first daylight sighting ahead of him was on October 24th. In 2016, the first daylight sighting ahead of him was October 25th. Both of those were from the same stand in the same food plot, and I had a shot opportunity ahead of him on both of those occasions. So my thought process was, in 2017, I'm not going to hunt him until October 24th or 25th, assuming conditions are right. Um, and that's what I did. So I'm proud of myself and the fact that I stayed out. I maintained patience. I didn't go into this property at all, except for the opening night, for three weeks. Um, so I think that was probably a good thing, because he wasn't moving in daylight. I wasn't getting daylight trial camera pictures of him anywhere. Um, no long-distance scouting observations. So I stayed out. I was good. Now, here's a mistake I made. October 24th comes along. This is the, the pre, pre-prescribed date when I'm supposed to start hunting him. I've been looking forward to this date all season. I was like, all right, this is when he should start moving. I got to get out there. I was so excited for, for weeks. I was looking forward to this saying, all right, that's the day, that's the day, that's the day. And then I saw this cold front coming up that was going to coincide with that. I thought, all right, this is going to be it. I'm going to kill him. October 24th shows up. The cold front was hitting, but not what I wanted. The wind was way higher than I thought it was going to be. It looked like it was going to be, you know, 25 mile an hour winds, um, higher than you're typically going to see a lot of deer activity in this area with those kinds of conditions. But I was so kind of set in my mind that I got to be hunting on this day. Like I'd been just dying to get out and hunt. I wanted to do it so badly that I convinced myself, I kept looking at the weather, looking at the weather, I'm like, well, maybe it's going to die down below 20, and if it's in like the teens, it'll be okay, so I decided to go for it, because I thought the wind was going to die down, I didn't think it'd be quite so bad, the cold temperatures, I convinced myself of this, basically just because like in my gut, I just wanted to go, I was just so excited to go, convinced myself to go out there, I got into my tree, and it was way worse than even the forecast was, was, was calling for. It was like 30 mile an hour winds and then the winds were swirling and it was just insane. And, and instantly I got into the tree and I'm like, this is a disaster. I should have never come out here. So that was a mistake I made because I was just over anxious. I was so set in my plan that I'd made. Um, I'd been patient for so long, but then because I had put this date on the calendar, I wasn't able to look at it through clear eyes and say, no, it's not worth pushing it. What's what's waiting one more day? You can wait one more day. But I didn't. I went in there, and who knows? Maybe he was in that area where the wind was swirling. He winded me in the first time I went in in three and a half weeks, and that screwed up the next seven to ten days. I don't know, but that's possible. So there's a, there's a mistake I made. Now, on the bright side, something I did right was that I got in that tree. I realized this is a disaster. This is even worse than I thought it was going to be. And I made the tough decision to pull the plug. So immediately, within like five minutes, I tore everything down and snuck right back out. Um, so I didn't make the problem worse. Um, so there was a mistake there, but then there was a tiny positive decision too. Now, right. the next day, similar kind of scenario pops up. Now it's October 25th. 
the year before I had a shot at Holy Field at 40 yards. I didn't take it. Um, then now this cold front is hit. The wind speeds have died down. This is going to be the night. This is going to be a great night. Um, now I'm finally going to get that chance at him. But with the wind direction we had, it was a little bit, it was, it was straight west, if I remember right. And to hunt the spot where I had gotten these shots at Holyfield in the past, I really want a northwest to north wind. Um, so I've got, this is a food, little food plot system we've talked about a lot in the past. There's a, a box blind on the south side of it, and then there's a tree stand kind of in the middle of the food plot complex. I thought, okay, even though it's a due west wind, I can hunt the box blind with that due west wind and, and be okay. So I go and hunt the box blind, and as I told the story earlier this year, I got into the blind, opened the door, and it was loaded with bees. And so I got <laughs> swarmed by bees, and I ran down out of the blind, and I realized, well, what the heck am I going to do? I can't hunt the box blind now. Um, so what I ended up doing, I was so convinced that I had to be hunting, and I was so excited to finally be hunting, that I made another potential mistake. I went and I said, well, I got to hunt this food plot complex because this is the spot to be. Um, so I hunted that tree stand that was in the middle of the, of the system there. And even though I had a due west wind, which cuts into a portion of the cover, and I said, screw it, I got to swing for the fences. I've been waiting three and a half weeks. All the other conditions are right. This is the right place. This is the right time based on annual patterns. These are the right conditions. Um, sometimes you got to take a risk. So I went in there and hunted it because my first option, the blind didn't work. And I sat in there with my wind blowing into a substantial section of cover that Holyfield might've been coming from. It wasn't, it wasn't the worst. Like if you imagine 180 degrees, like if you're looking at a pie and you put a line going from 12 to six, right down the middle of that pie. On the left side of the pie is the food plot system and cover and a little finger of timber. On the right side of the pie is this big stretch of cover where Holyfield, I assumed, where he was bedding most of the time. I was blowing my wind into about a third of it. So a third of that pie now was screwed. Um, so I was just hoping, well, hopefully he wasn't in that bottom third. Hopefully he's in the top two thirds. Um, Usually I like to try to not blow into that at all or just blow into like the bottom eighth of it. This time I didn't, and maybe that was a mistake. Maybe he was in there and he winded me, and again, maybe that was the time I screwed things up. Um, I don't know. Uh, that, was a, that was a bad decision, possibly. On the other hand, if he came from the northwest section there and I was sitting there and I swung for the fences, it might have worked out, but... You just never know. I mean, you can. I could do this all day, right? I could second guess all my decisions back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I don't know how much is too much. I don't know how much is healthy. Um, but that was another example of like a small thing I observed that maybe I screwed up. Um, do you think you overanalyze? Oh my gosh, too much. Heck yeah. <laughs> but I mean, listen to me. I've just gone through this and I've, I'm picking apart every little thing. I think that there's. I think. Who knows, right? This is me saying this, and I could be completely nuts. I think there's value in the process. So I think there's value in analyzing these things afterwards to at least think about them, to like look at, okay, why did I make this decision? What were the things that you know were influencing making, me making that decision? Um, and then just like uh, reflecting on that 
And I think that'll help me make better decisions in the future. I do think there's value there. Um, but at the same time, I do know that during the season, I overanalyzed some things to a point where um, there can be paralysis by analysis or I'll get overwhelmed by trying to make the right decisions. I put a lot of pressure on myself to make the right decisions. Um, so that's been a big takeaway for me out of the 2017 season is, again, just to like the pressure I put on myself and the, the stress that I let myself get from some of these things because I'm so um, – I, 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 am, I am obsessive. Like I am admittedly – obsessive when it comes to goals and achievements and tasks like i get really really serious about things um and that can be a good thing to a degree because it has allowed me to achieve my goals in many cases and allows me to do things that i have wanted to do but sometimes it definitely leads to um it leads to challenges too right well i think now we'll make for a good time to take a quick break here for a word from our partners at whitetail properties this week with whitetail properties we are joined by tony hansen a land specialist out of michigan and tony is going to be telling us about how hunting strategy changes in pressured states like michigan uh, i'd say the biggest difference is that the, just the availability the number of older deer is much much lower so you don't have, you know, a bunch of them to pick from, so you you've got to be pretty careful with the ones that you do have to hunt. And you know, for me, it it's all about trying to manage the the ground that I've got so that I do have that age structure because it's it's probably not going to be there on the neighbors. If you'd like to learn more and to see the properties that Tony currently has listed for sale, visit whitetailproperties.com/backslash/hansen. That's H-A-N-S-E-N. You know, in, along that same kind of thought process, this year I did something a little bit different. And, yeah, I looked at maps at, when I was at home or, you know, before the hunt. But I didn't make a decision on what stand I was going to hunt until I pulled onto the farm. Because I, I felt like I was doing the same thing that you were and that was overanalyzing and – having some kind of you're wasting time at that point you're you're not functioning at your most efficient and i think that what that time constraint does is now you're on the farm and it's time to make a decision or you're going to get to your stand late so i think that helped me choose the right stands you know and and put myself into a position where I know this stands good. I know this area is good because the the wind direction, the terrain, all that stuff. I have either pictures or there's sign there. I just need to go do it. Yeah, I think that there's something to that. Um, I don't know if you have this struggle at all, but for me, one thing I've noticed that I do, and this kind of applies to life in general too. But when I make a decision. So in this case, like uh, choosing a stand site. So I'll be looking at the weather, you know, all the all. let's say I'm trying to choose where I want to hunt the next morning, we'll say. Um, the night before, I'm looking at the weather over and over again, checking that, thinking through what I want to do. And I, I try to like make a decision usually the night before. So based on the weather, based on the wind direction, all the things I know or I think I know, I say, okay, I think tomorrow I'm going to hunt this stand. The next day, I have a really hard time taking in any new information to change that decision. So if I arrive at the property and then all of a sudden or I'm walking out to the property and all of a sudden the wind isn't 
exactly what the forecast said it was, but my mind was already made up on I'm going to stand X, I have a really hard time not wanting to stick to that decision. Like, if, if I've decided to hunt stand X, it's hard for me to adjust at the last minute and switch it up. Like, I'm already so convinced of that that I'm like, ah, I got to stick with that. And sometimes maybe that's a mistake too. So there's something to be said about waiting to make some of those decisions until you have the very most recent information. And then you kind of allow your gut to make the decision a little bit more too um, versus getting so um, wound up in the details of all the other factors. Um, that's something that, that I don't know if that's an issue I've had in the past. I think I've done a pretty good job over the years of getting better and better at choosing the right places to be. Um, and I think for the most case, um, I've seen the results of that, but I definitely have a tendency to second guess myself. There's no yeah. doubt about that too. I did a lot less of that. I think that's one, maybe, maybe that could even be a takeaway from this season is I did a lot less second guessing myself. You know, if I, if I felt an area was maybe burnt, getting burnt out, um, that's actually what led me to go into this new piece of property and on night one and harvest the buck that I harvested this year because everything that I wanted to, you know, that I said, this is a good location to be. It wasn't there at that particular time. So I decided to go to a completely different area and that worked. So I, I feel that maybe as a positive for me, I did a lot less second guessing myself this year. Uh, that's a, I think that's a good sign, right? That's a sign of um, confidence, if nothing else. And I th right. man, confidence, I think, is so important um, when it comes to just your mindset out there in the woods. If you have confidence in something, I think you're just in a better position as far as being there mentally. And if you're not there mentally, you make mistakes, like missing a deer walking by you at 25 yards. Um, so that's, I think that's clutch. I think that's huge. So speaking of your shift to a new property, that is one of the things that I am happy that I did, um, not switching to a new property. But I think I did a better job this year of switching things up finally. Like I did switch things up off my original game plan um, mid-rut. So I came into, you know, as we talked earlier, that October 24th. I thought I was going to kill him between the 24th and the 31st. I thought that last week in October was when it was going to happen. And I had this whole game plan, like these prop, these food, or sorry, the stands I had up by these food sources that I thought I could kill them on. And that just didn't happen. I wasn't seeing them anywhere. I wasn't getting daylight pictures of them anywhere. Um, but I, in the past years, I'd always thought I had to hunt near the front of this property because this bedding area where I'd always seen them in the past was up there. Well, when things weren't going right, I decided to switch things up and try a different part of the property that I, in the past, never hunted for him because I never got pictures of him down there. I never saw him at all down there. Um, but I switched it up and I said, all right, I'm just going to start doing crazy things I've never done before because what I have been trying isn't working. And when I started doing those different things, then I started seeing him. I started, I, I started doing a bunch of different running gun sets. I hunted a new stand almost every day. So I wasn't hunting the same stands over and over. I was bouncing from place to place to place. Um, and that at least gave me, got me into the wheelhouse with him. I did see him. I had the shot opportunity of one day. The next day, I, you know, three or four days later, I had him within range, but there was cover in the way. Um, so that was a positive that I was proud of myself for doing, which was something, you know, it's always tough to do when you have a bunch of pre-hung sets 
it's really easy to want to just hunt, hunt those pre-hung sets. Um, but I told myself that, no, you're not going to make excuses. You're not going to take the easy way. So I, I was getting up way, way before daylight, hiking in these places and hanging and standing in the dark at like 3.30 or 4 in the morning so I could be hunting a new set in a new spot. And that was a pain in the butt. It didn't right. end up, I didn't end up killing him with that. But I do think that was a good thing. I think being willing to switch. And we talked about that a lot in the past. Um, so that was a positive. I want to elaborate on that a second. I had this thought go through my brain. Oh man, probably the, like the first two days I, I decided to hunt, you know, I started hunting this year and that was, do I, do I get a benefit from hanging my stand so early and not doing a hundred percent running guns on, on these farms? I think there's a small benefit, but I almost, I I had this thought where, where I said, you know, is, are these pre-hung stands similar to what you said, subconsciously influencing me that I need to be in one of those and not making a macro adjustment at the moment that I need to be making a decision, right? Because the wind could you know, the, the weather channel says North wind, but you get into your spot and it could be North, Northeast or North, Northwest. And it's just a little bit different. And that may influence you to set up on, you know, five yards difference here, five yards difference there and cause your, you know, you're sent downstream to do something completely, completely different. So I, I was thinking to myself, man, do, should I, should I be prepping? Like and hanging some of these early season stands that kind of I don't I don't know what what how how to say it, but I think it's somehow influencing me to be satisfied with less than perfect stand location. Yeah, it, it, they're kind of a crutch. Like you said, if if you know you want to be in a certain area and you already have a stand there, you're gonna nine times out of ten you're gonna hunt that stand because you already have it there. Even if like you said really it might be better to be 10 yards further over. If you had to hang a new stand, you'd put it in the perfect place. But since there's already one there, well, might as well just sit in that one. Now, I 100% agree with what you're saying. On the flip side, though, which which one of these things is more important? Is what you just said more important, being in the right spot, the exact right spot? Is that most important? Or is it more important to be able to sneak into a spot and very quietly go right up in the tree without making an impact and be hunting right away versus right. the potential of cutting down limbs or banging your tree stand against a metal step or something like that. So like the, the chance of spooking deer while setting up that tree stand. So which is, right. which is more beneficial? I don't know. Um, man, that's a tough question, man. Yeah. I, you know, how many times have you had a, a deer five yards out of range that you wanted to shoot? You know what I mean? Just oh, yeah. like, it, it plays, it, it can, it's one of those things where it, it can, it can really screw up your thought process if you make a decision and that decision's wrong as opposed to making a decision in that, and then that decision's right, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think, I think we've mentioned like this, that fooled by randomness concept yeah. where something happens once and then you take that to be like an indicator of a rule sort of. So if this one thing happened this one time, you think, okay, that's the way things are. But right. it could have just been a random thing that happened. 
And that's, right. that's, you know, a risk of what we're doing right here, really to, to a degree, and especially what I do when I hyper analyze things. Um, sometimes shit just happens. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. there's things that are just out of your control or bad luck happens or, um, things don't go your way and you can't control, we can't control a whole heck of a lot when it comes to deer hunting. Um, so I think one of the big lessons I can take from that this year is to forgive myself for that. Like to be okay with that, to know that there's a lot of stuff I can't control. Mistakes are going to happen. You're not going to get it all right. And that's okay. Like I, I'm really hard on myself. Um, like I would, I, I really like, as I think maybe if you listen to me as I'm talking through all this, I'm, I can be really nitpicky about this thing or that thing. And, and I do that to myself in my head, like all day. Um, when I'm thinking about, you know, the hunting season or really anything, but, um, but I think this season helped me, or I'm trying to look at this season and use it as a lesson to say, you know what, there's only so much you can do. It's good to pay attention to the details. It's good to try to keep improving. Um, I'm going to keep on trying to do that, but sometimes you also, also need to understand that you can't control it all and you need to learn to, um, accept that, embrace it, um, and, and not beat yourself up too much as well. Oh man, I wish I could agree with you there. What think, do you mean? I think, I think you can control a majority of it if you learn from your mistakes, right? Now, the rut brings a whole different kind of randomness to that, but I feel that you can do a if given multiple opportunities, you can control a scenario so well that you the that you can win. Like your your percentage of winning goes up. I mean on a on a completely different scale than what we're used to, take a look at the Drury's, right? And the Lakoskis. They set up their farms to put themselves in a in a scenario where they have the highest percentage of winning right and i think that if given certain circumstances you can control that way more than than what you think i think it's it's a relative thing right so i'm not arguing that you can't control more you can always control more and i mean that's a huge portion of like my whole mindset when it comes to deer hunting is controlling as many different little tiny variables as you possibly can i 100 percent agree with that and so yeah the juries the lakoskis they to a tremendous degree control a ton of variables and that's a huge right. part of what does make them successful i agree um i'm just saying you can't control everything and mark jury still has things happen that he doesn't want to have happen yes he kills lots of big deer but there are still mistakes that get made or there are still things that happen that piss him off and the hunt gets screwed up a deer does the wrong thing or a coyote runs in or his blind falls over or a step falls out of the tree, like things happen. Um, so I'm simply saying do as much as you possibly can push yourself more and more every single year to learn more, to improve more, to pay attention to the details. But when something does go wrong, and this is maybe this is just for me because this is something I just have a struggle with. I'm just saying when something goes wrong, identify it, learn from it, but then don't, beat yourself up like don't hate yourself because that thing went wrong for me i need to be able to identify it learn from it 
and be okay moving forward from that and not identify it, learn from it, and then be pissed at yourself because this thing went wrong and you're such a shitty deer hunter because of it, Mark, and your season got ruined because of this, Mark, and you're never going to kill Holyfield, blah, 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 blah. You shame yourself. Yes. So so this has been my uh, – um, this has been me just having to work on that that portion of it. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Because – and, and we talk about this a lot too, but as much as killing a deer is what we strive to do and we have our goals and it, I think it's great to have goals and it's great to work towards difficult things. And that's a big part of why I love deer hunting and hunting mature bucks. But you're all, we're also doing this because it's fun, right? We're trying to have a good time. We're absolutely, we're, we're trying to do all those things. And if, if and every single year I say the same thing. So if you've been following the Wired Hunt podcast, you realize that I'm maybe not doing a good job of learning this because every year I have the same um, challenge is that I need to continue to get better at like being happy in the moment and like not overstressing about these things. Um, and so that's something that I, I think I'll probably just continue to be working on my whole life because like uh, maybe maybe a good thing about me is that I take things really seriously and I work really, really hard and I want to achieve big things. Um, but sometimes that can be a detriment too. Um, so that's, that's a constant balancing act that I'm trying to get better at every year. Right. And it, it just sucks because guys like me and you are in a position of trying to explain things right to people, the listener, right. When there's certain things that you just can't explain, you, like, I don't know, I wish I could sit here and tell you that, you know, I have these certain goals and I have, you know, that all these listener, you know, the listeners out there need to do this and need to do that. But at the end of the day, I think the most important thing is to just do you, do what you want to do and and not worry about what others are thinking, not worry about, you know, I don't know. I, I have this I have this thing that kind of pisses me off about people who and I'm 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 a hypocrite at this point too because I provide content, uh, suggestions and strategy advice, you know, but Everybody has a different scenario, right? And every like, so I I can't take that much advice from a guy who hunts large pieces of highly managed property, uh, you know, or food plot advice because it's just not relatable to me. And I think a lot of people try to put themselves into a scenario where they're chasing seven year old, you know, Boone and Crockett deer when they're hunting public land in Michigan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, you got to be able to look at your reality and separate that from what else you're seeing there from other people, for sure. It's easy to to fall into that trap, though. You know, I oh, mean, yeah, you, absolutely. Even, and, and to your point, I preach it all the time. I preach this. I mean, we do. We talk about this on the podcast all the time about how you need to look at your own set of circumstances, base your own goals and tactics based on those unique situations and circumstances. But I still find myself looking at people in other circumstances and being like, how come I can't do that? Like in, in right. moments, in moments of weakness, I find myself like pissed off or jealous when I see someone else having some great success or something. <laughs> I'm like, gosh, dang it. Like, I wish it was that like for me, how come I can't? Yeah. And, and you, you can't do that. You can't, you can't let that happen, but it is human right. nature. Um, it's definitely human nature, but I don't know. So much of, I feel like so much of what we, maybe this is one of the reasons why deer hunting at the 
to the degree that we take it seriously, um, why it's so compelling is that it's, if you think about the things we're thinking about, it's an interesting reflection of a lot of just basic life challenges in that I think we're talking about some things here like setting expectations, dealing with adversity, paying attention to other people, comparing yourself to other people, learning from mistakes, um, getting back up off the ground when bad things happen. Um, these are all these things that we are talking about in the context of deer hunting, but they're actually just bigger life lessons that could apply to everything from your job to school to relationships. Um, and maybe this is like a way that idiots like you and me can learn stuff about life <laughs> because of our obsession with deer hunting. Um, and maybe that's part of why we love this thing and taking it as seriously as we do, because it's, right. uh, there's other things going on here than just trying to fill the freezer. Of course, that's, that's the core of what we're trying to do, but there's, right. there's bigger picture things to, to learn from these experiences too. Right. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. Can I, can I tell you about another huge uh, area of uh, disappointment has been for me this year? Please don't say co-host. Please don't say co-host. Please don't say co-host. <laughs> no. Um, and this is another thing that we talk about a lot, but I think I've, I've, I've not done a good enough job with it, and that is with having different places to go. So a big mistake for me this year, and this kind of revolves all around what we were talking about earlier, is that I put all my eggs in the basket of Holyfield, so I was so focused on that that I didn't take advantage of the other places I had to hunt, but then I also didn't have as many other good places to hunt as I should have too. So, for example, from October 1st through October 24th, I didn't want to hunt my best spot where Holyfield was because of the things we talked about already, but I also didn't want to leave the area because I wanted to be close enough that if I did get a daylight picture of Holyfield or something like that, I wanted to still be able to hunt him. So I didn't go to North Dakota like I was going to do. I didn't go to Ohio at all like I could have done. And because I didn't do a good job this year on trying to find new spots in the general area, I didn't have any other high-quality local spots to hunt. So I, I kind of wasted three weeks of my hunting season. Um, I went and I spent three or four days up north, um, which is fun. But it really wasn't, you know, going to pan out as far as killing a mature buck. I had done some scouting on public land this summer, so I thought, oh, I'm going to hunt a bunch of public land during that time period. But I didn't do a good enough job scouting that public. I should have scouted more. I should have found more spots on that public because um, I hunted three times on public, but that didn't pan out at all. And I didn't spend so either either I should have scouted more or I should have spent more time trying to hunt it during that three week period to to be able to adjust and make something happen. But I didn't do that. Um, I got permission on a spot this summer and then I got lazy and busy and I never followed up with him again. Um, cause he wanted me to come back and talk to him about details and some other stuff. And just cause of how busy things were. And I thought, oh, I'll just focus on these other things. I never went and tried to take advantage of that. That was another mistake. Um, there's another piece of property I have locally that I had permission on in past years, but I fell out of touch with him. And because I fell out of touch with him, I felt bad about trying to call him up and say, oh, hey, I just want to hunt your property again. So that I never followed up with him again this year. Um, I should have been dealing with this over the past couple of years. And instead, now I don't have permission on this place anymore. Um, so, and, and then again, 
on top of all those things, I should have been knocking on more doors this year locally to try to get more quality places. What the, the point of all that being is that I put too much into this one property. I let other opportunities slip by. I didn't work hard enough to find more places locally. So I, I've either lost out on places or didn't have other options when I should have been taking advantage of that time period. I had a three-week time period. I could have been doing a bunch more hunting, but I didn't. I hunted some subpar places just to kind of pass the time till what I thought would be prime time. Um, that was probably a mistake. I might have missed out on some opportunities. So I think coming to this next year, especially now that I'm going to be putting more time into Michigan probably in the past because I have this whole family thing going on that's going to maybe change my travel schedule a little bit, um, I really need to find a bunch of good spots. I can't just... Right. I can't just have a little one little good property in Michigan. Like the the best deer hunters I know that kill mature bucks consistently in Michigan have a bunch of good places. I have a couple decent. I've got one good spot and then a handful of decent or okay spots. Um, and I've every year I'm like, oh well, that's okay. I need a bunch of good spots if I want to consistently kill mature bucks and not just get lucky every couple of years. Um, if I want to be one of those people that's going to be doing that every year, I think I need to have a lot more places because if you don't own a couple, if you don't own a big place that you can control, if you're in a situation like I am where I'm hunting 20 acre little pieces and 40 acre little pieces and the 90 acre piece, and there's people everywhere, it's really hard to get it done year in and year out counting on one little spot to produce over and over. Um, so this year. Hopefully, I can practice what I preach better than I have and do an even better job this year of finding some new places. Um, and that applies in Ohio, too. I think my Ohio spot's fizzling out. Um, this year, i got to find some new stuff there. Um, I, need to, I need to rethink a lot of these different things. I think I got a little comfortable over the past yeah. maybe five years. Things have been going well. I've killed a couple bucks every year the last like five years or so. I was getting comfortable with that. Um, and I maybe maybe let things slip. I didn't push things as far as maybe I should have as far as finding new areas, keeping other options open. Um, and I think that maybe bit me in the butt a little bit this year. So right. that's that's right. another opportunity area I think I've, I've identified for, for 2018. All right, but now we're going to take our final break of the day to thank our partners at Matthews Archery. And as we've been discussing over the past few weeks, Matthews has launched their new bow for 2018, the Matthews Triax. And today we've got Lee Likoski of The Crush TV to talk about the difference he's seen with the Triax and how it stands out above other bows he's used. And it really it really hit home. You know, a lot of times when you just pick up a bow for the first time and you shoot it, it's like, yeah, it feels good and feels quiet and, you know, vibration-free and everything. And it's, but it's really kind of hard to tell because you don't to compare it to other ones. But when I got the Triax, it was, you know, in the summer, I mean, it didn't even have a name for it yet. It didn't have any limb graphics or anything. It was just a, a bow. So I shot it, you know, a bunch all summer, just getting used to it. And so right before we were going out to out west to start our hunts, I said, well, I better grab, you know, my, my hand on 32 for my backup bow. And so I just took one shot with it, and I just was like, oh, my gosh, what a difference. I mean, just like the, the vibration in your hand and stuff. And I was like, you know, for how smooth and quiet that Halon 32 was, you know, for me over the years. And, I mean, it was, the, I think, last year in all the comparison tests and everything, it was the quietest and most vibration-free out of any bow on the market. I just couldn't believe how much different the Triax was 
even to the halons. I was like, man, that's really where I saw the difference. And so I'm, and I've just been super impressed with it. If you'd like to learn more about the Matthews Triax, you can visit MatthewsInc.com. Yeah, man, it's always, always, like, I'm always looking for new properties. I, mean, it's just, I guess that's just a part of me that, number one, I like doing it. Um, and, you know, I get told no a lot, but I get told no a lot outside of hunting too. So um, <laughs> I'm used to it. But always looking for good ground is, you know, it's just, I mean, I don't know. I just like to hunt different places too. Um, another thing that I want to do kind of in, in regards to hunting new locations, and that is, and I don't necessarily have a lot to say on it right now, but the first thing is I want to learn about crops and how they're influencing the deer movement before the crops come out. Because I have a couple, I had a couple trail cameras, um, on some crop field, field edges this year that showed a lot of promise and I got to learn how to hunt those areas and when to hunt them and just, just put a little bit more focus on them on the early season because some of, I think I may be, you know, that makes me hop into some of my rut locations too early, if that makes sense. Um, so before the crops come out, I really want to take a look at, uh, some of those areas, you know, some of these places that once the crops come out, they, they go into the timber, but while the crops are in, they're living in buffer strips. They're living in these fields or these very small, thin little sections of timber that border or split up some of these big crop fields. And then I also want to learn what the deer are doing that third week of November, maybe leading up to maybe not even, uh, maybe not even this, uh, November, but that first week of December where the, the, the rut is in it kind of a trickling off mode, but the big bucks are still on their feet. I, I want to learn what the deer are doing and how to hunt during that, because I think I'm missing out on some of my farms when it comes to de- like m- mature buck movement on those two t- those two periods of time. So I agree with you a hundred percent when it comes to that, like that third week in November, that kind of time period, I feel like I have done the same thing. Um, that's, it's, it's tough in Michigan because our gun season opens and that whole third and fourth week of November kind of gets blown out by gun season. But I've always felt like I'm missing out on that opportunity in States like Iowa or Ohio where they don't have that gun season. Um, my challenge though has always been that, that time period I think can definitely be good, but it's also like I've been hunting for three weeks straight and my wife's about to kill me at that point. So I feel like I need to be taking some time away to, to spend time with family. And then you got Thanksgiving. Um, and I always feel like I just have a hard time finding time to hunt at that point because of that. Um, but man, if, if I can figure out how to better balance that and still get some hunting opportunity in some of these places, uh, I a hundred percent agree with you on figuring that time frame out too, but, uh, we, we need to wrap things up. I know you've got to get out of here, Dan. We've kind of rambled all over the place. I feel like we've been like going on this thing, that thing all over the place. Um, maybe the moral of the story is that you and I both had a lot of things go well, 
we also learned a lot from our mistakes. Um, and I got to believe everyone else out there has had similar situations, whether you killed a bunch of deer and achieved your goals or you didn't. Um, there's, there's always something to learn from it. So what, if you had to wrap it up, Dan, for you, like your big, your top couple things that we've talked about here, or otherwise, like your big couple takeaways from this season, what were those most important things, um, that stand out above everything else? I guess number one would be continue to be fluid, continue to let the, the, oh man, the situation like the, like the weather or the, the wind direction or the temperature or the knowledge you have off trail cameras, let that dictate your, I guess, where your stand location is going to be. But then also use your gut to finalize that decision, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the other, the other thing would be, I don't know, man, just to continue to be observant and keep your eyes open. And, and if, if there is failure to embrace it because you don't get better if you're perfect all the time. That's the truth right there. I agree with that for sure. Um, and I think that, that, Parries in well to then my uh, big takeaways. Biggest takeaway for me has been not to get blinded by obsession. So so obsessed with killing Holyfield this year. I think while that was a it was a great goal and it was a fun goal to go after. I think it also caused me to again to to overstress, to overthink, to to miss out on other enjoyable parts of the hunting season, um, and then also kept me from doing other things that maybe would have resulted in a better opportunities too. Like I canceled a great trip to North Dakota. I didn't hunt the Ohio rut almost at all. Um, so I missed out on a lot of things because I was so, so, so focused on this one thing, which maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. Um, and then I think we talked about this a lot, but just, um, learning to learn from mistakes, but not beat yourself up or overstress about them. That's a big one. And then the final piece I think for me this year was, the issue I just talked about a couple minutes ago, which was location. Like every year too, I'm constantly thinking about trying to find new places. I just need to do an even better job. Like I need to just find more opportunities because there's nothing more important. I think when it comes right down to it, more important than location, you can't kill mature big bucks. If you don't have anywhere to hunt that has them. And, uh, that's especially true in a place like Michigan where they're not everywhere by any means. So, I'm going to be knocking on a lot of doors or saving up pennies to try to buy a property someday or lease a property somewhere or something um, because you got to get spots to hunt. So I hear uh, we've been hearing a little person in the background, Dan. Do you want to make your son famous? Hey, hey, Mac, can you say, talk right in here and say, stay wired to hunt. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome, man. All right, well, I think that's a perfect yeah, way to wrap hunt. it up. <laughs> now say, 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 big buck. Big buck. Now say, the October lull is a myth. <laughs> Not coming to poop. Oh, no, now we go. Now we start talking dirty. All right, we're done. We're done. And that will do it for us. So big thank you to our partners who make this possible. Big thanks to Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Matthews Archery, Maven Optics, the Whitetail Institute of North America, Trophy Ridge, and Huntera Maps. And finally, thank you for listening. 
Thanks for being with us. I hope that you had an amazing 2017 season and hopefully one that you've been able to learn from and that you can take those lessons forward into the next one. So until next time, thanks again and stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle.